Broadcasting coast to coast across all the flyover states and hundreds of countries worldwide. She is the winner of the SPJ Award. She is the winner of two national headline awards and America's favorite badass. Give it up for the Sarah Carter Show. Wow, that's so awesome. And that voice of God came from Looch. Looch, I love him. I don't think I'd be able to do this without him right now. I'm learning so much. I felt like I was doing okay before, and now I see how mediocre I was, right, Looch? Huh? I'm impressed as always. You got this, girl. Oh, gosh. You know, I got this, and I want to be peppy and happy right now, but I'm going to bring us down a couple of notches because our ally Israel has been hammered over the last week by Hamas. Hamas, a terrorist organization, a designated terrorist organization, is once again ramping up attacks in Israel, and the United States is doing everything it can to back our ally. Unfortunately, Democrats aren't doing so much. A lot of Democrats aren't. The squad hasn't even mentioned a word. Ask Rashida Tlaib, what about this, Rashida Tlaib, Congresswoman, Ilhan Omar, Congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, you, you're so busy attacking this administration that you can't even give one iota, one iota of respect for our ally Israel. And right now there are people injured. There was a young girl that was killed two weeks after her 17th birthday, I believe. 17-year-old girl by the name of Rena, and I hope I pronounce her last name correct. I, I don't want to have any disrespect. If I, if I don't pronounce this correct, I'm, I'm truly sorry. But Rena Shenrav, Rena Shenrav, her brother and her father are in serious condition at a hospital. And this poor young girl was killed by an improvised explosive device. In Israel. And we have rockets coming into Israel, into the south. And another thing, the Israeli government stopped two men that they know are connected to Iran coming in from Syria. And they were planning a drone strike in Israel. This is very serious. And this is the reason why in the United States we have people now like Secretary of State Mike Pompeo, who is saying, and also, also, former Ambassador John Bolton, who's with the president now, saying, look, we cannot negotiate, absolutely must not negotiate with Iran. We must hold them accountable because they are the biggest, biggest supplier of terror all over the planet. There's no reason we should be negotiating with them. What happened under the Obama administration was devastating. The $150 billion that we handed over to Iran, where do you think that money went? That money went to build up terrorist organizations like Hezbollah, Hamas, build up the coffers of those organizations so that they could continue to attack our allies in Israel and us. This is about us, too, our own national security. 
I just want to read you something here. The Israeli Defense Forces, they said on Saturday that the airstrikes on a facility near Damascus that they initiated thwarted an imminent attack by multiple Iranian killer drones, which it attributed to the Islamic Revolutionary Guard Corps. And let me tell you something about the Islamic Revolutionary Guard Guard Corps, which is the IRGC. They were all over the ground when I was in Iraq, all over the place. They moved, they manipulated the government, which they still do in Iraq. They have seized control of that region. They want to build what they call a Shia crescent in this area. They want control. Iran Iran wants full control of the Middle East region. And this is what they're fighting for. This is the reason why we've allied ourselves with Saudi Arabia. Some of you might think, why, why are we why are we working so hard to be so close to Saudi Arabia? It isn't just about gas. It's about control of the Middle East. And the Saudis are Sunni. And they do not want Iran to expand into the Middle East. This is what we're talking about. It's hard for a lot of people to understand this, but when you spend time in the region, you really start to see the way things play out. And our only true ally, our only true ally in the Middle East is Israel. That's it, folks. I can tell you that right now. We are never going to get an ally like Israel ever again. And if we don't protect this relationship, and we don't stand by the side of Israel, we are going to lose every bit of investment or control or assistance in that region. I mean, this is a powder keg waiting to go off. It is a powder keg waiting to go off. And I'm telling you, the Israeli Defense Forces have a lot on their hands right now. They are really facing a serious threat, something that we all should pay attention to. Very, very important stuff here. Let's not forget our allies in Israel. God bless that beautiful family. May may they heal. Uh, may the father and son come out of the hospital that I can't even imagine what... Uh, what the wife is going through right now, knowing that her daughter is gone. And, you know, hopefully we won't see any more attacks, um, although I'm not I'm not confident of that. I truly believe that Israel, as it stated, be, uh, you know, before that Israel is under a direct threat and Iran is intent on one thing and one thing only right now. And that is wiping Israel off the face of the earth. Let's let's be a true ally. Let's stand by the side of our Israeli brothers and sisters and let them know that we care. That's really important. I'm going to move on to something that's been in the news. I'm sure you've all seen it. If you haven't, I'll explain it to you right here because that's what I'm supposed to do. I may not explain it perfectly, but I'm going to try my best. I broke a story actually at the end of July, which surprisingly at that point in time, A lot of people didn't pay attention to, at least on cable news. It started making its way around the Internet. Now, this story has to do with the CEO of Overstock.com, Patrick Byrne. Brilliant, brilliant man. I got to tell you, he's so smart that sometimes when he's talking to me, I think uh, I think I should just leave the room (laughs) because basically I'm like lost, right? It's all about math. It's about blockchain. It's about economics. It's about the stock market. And he's also somebody that I've known for some time, known him for about maybe 12 years. 
Well, something happened that completely shocked me. He calls me up one day. And he doesn't call me often because, you know, I'm not a CEO, I'm not a billionaire, and I don't have any stock. So I probably don't have a lot to share with him. But he calls me up one day and he says, Sarah, I need to tell you something. Something very, very important. Something that's going to change my life completely. And I said, well, what is it, Patrick? And he said, I need to talk to you about my involvement in the Russia investigation. What? I was like, oh, my gosh. He's got to be joking with me now. I said, ah, come on. Your involvement in the Russia investigation? What does the CEO of Overstock have to do with the Russia investigation? And he said, wait a minute. Are you sitting down? This part I do remember. He said, are you sitting down? I said, no, I'm not. He goes, you need to sit down because I'm serious. And I thought, okay, I'm going to sit down. I'm going to hear you out. He said, I had a relationship with Maria Butina. Remember Maria Butina? Maybe you don't. Maybe you do. Beautiful 26-year-old redhead gun rights activist from Russia. Uh, very, um, uh, she was out in the media for quite some time uh, at Freedom Fest in 2015, which is actually where Patrick Byrne met her. She actually approached him there. This was Freedom Fest 2015 in Las Vegas. Uh, also, interestingly enough, you guys are going to hear something in a little bit. From Las Vegas, which was an unexpected call, but I'm going to throw it out there. Just throwing it out there just for fun. Hold on to your seats because that is important. Wait till you hear it. You and I are going to connect. So meets her at Freedom Fest in 2015. She comes up to him. She's a libertarian, a gun rights activist. She is so excited to meet Patrick Byrne. In fact, she's thrilled. She comes back the next day uh, at Freedom Fest. He's on a panel. She comes up to him. She says, I don't think you got it when I met you the other day. I really want to tell you who I am. My name is Maria Butina. I was appointed by General Kalishnikov, Kalishnikov, the designer of the AK-47, the Kalishnikov rifle. I was appointed by General Kalishnikov to lead the libertarian group in Russia. And you're our hero, Patrick. You are our hero. You are like a god in Russia. Okay, maybe she didn't say that. But she was talking like that. I mean, he was very impressed that she knew Milton Friedman. By the way, full disclosure, Patrick, I know it's going to make you cry. I have never read Milton Friedman, but I But I am a libertarian thinker. I mean, just haven't read his whole book. Um, So anyways, they developed this relationship. But Patrick first contacts the FBI because she's Russian. He's kind of suspicious. He wonders, why is she approaching me? Calls the FBI. Um, FBI doesn't really give him a green light. Now, Patrick has a low-level security clearance. So he doesn't want to lose it. But he's interested in this young lady. He thinks, wow, she's really smart, really into what I do. I would love to be able to help, maybe build a relationship, build a bridge between Russia and the United States. Who knows? Eventually, he continues to communicate with the FBI, says, well, I'm not going to see her unless you guys give me a green light. Don't want to lose my security clearance, but I'd really, really like to talk to her more. Eventually, the FBI calls him back, says, look, she's okay. She's just an undergrad student. Go ahead and see her. So he starts to develop a relationship with her. And what transpires after that is really fascinating. The FBI keeps in communication with him. He continues to report on her to the FBI. At the same time, he becomes even more concerned. And, you know, 
I don't, he never thought, and actually this is part of what he told the FBI, he never actually believed that she was an Anna Chapman type of spy. Anna Chapman ran a whole ring here in the U.S., and we eventually traded her for some of our spies, a very, you know, important spy in Russia. But she, um, she was not an Anna Chapman type, but she was definitely an influencer. But Patrick became very suspicious. Now, he knew her from 2015 to 2018. The fact that the FBI was allowing her to mingle with a lot of people in the Republican Party. The NRA, that was a big deal. This is all before we even knew anything about her, guys. So there was never a story yet, right? Not until 2018 about Anna Chapman. I mean, about Maria Butina. So both redheads, by the way, which is probably why I'm getting them confused right now. But... There was never really a story about her. So he was continuing to report. He said, look, she wants to meet with Donald Trump Jr. She wants to meet with uh, Senator Ted Cruz. She wants to meet with Marco Rubio, Hillary Clinton. He's reporting all of this stuff to the FBI and nothing's happening. They're not getting briefed. Nobody that's in Maria Butina's circumference in her AO, in her area of operation, is getting told to be watch out to watch out for her, even though at this point the FBI is concerned about her. Anyways, I'm going to make a long story short. Patrick also says, and this I have not. Now, I've been able to prove 100% he had a relationship with Maria Butina. I've talked to Maria Butina's lawyer, Robert Driscoll. I've talked to people at the Department of Justice. I was able to verify the fact that Patrick did meet with people, two lawyers, as a matter of fact, in the Department of Justice in April, both on April 5th and April 30th. On April 30th, he dropped off a litany of documents To the Department of Justice. Apparently, these documents are text messages, emails, and other communications he had with his FBI handlers, people that were talking to him. What Patrick says, though, that I cannot verify yet is that he was in an operation that the FBI asked him to be involved in to be a conduit between somebody overseas and Hillary Clinton. Somehow the FBI had predicate information in 2016 that Hillary Clinton and her foundation had accepted pay for play. They realized somebody else overseas had wanted to do the same, but had never met Hillary. Patrick who knew people in the Hillary Clinton campaign, apparently, and who was actually in contact with the person that they had been listening to for some time, was able to make those connections. That's all I know. He doesn't want to go into more detail. There was some kind of FBI operation, Patrick Byrne alleges, that was targeting Hillary Clinton. But after the operation apparently happened... The FBI returned to Patrick Byrne and basically said to him, look, we're dropping all of it. Don't talk to anybody about what happened here. She's going to be the next president of the United States. This is not going to happen. This never happened. It never existed. Move on with your life. And there were a lot of other details on the Maria Butina side that I just can't get into because it would just blow your minds. But the thing is, is that this is what Patrick Byrne is alleging. Now, 
Like I've told you, I've been able to verify that he dropped off documents. I've been able to verify that relationship with Maria Butina. I have not been able to verify what he alleges about Hillary Clinton. I have no reason not to believe him. However, he has never lied before. He is now resigned as the CEO of Overstock last week because of this story coming out. This is a very big deal. I mean, this is a company he built for the last 20 years. Huge, huge company, billion-dollar company, and he has resigned as CEO because he believes and believes even up until I talked to him just last night, folks, he believes that he is doing the right thing, he is doing the patriotic thing, and he was very, very distressed about how divided America is, and he believes that the FBI and the Department of Justice under President Obama, and this is a man that did not support President Trump. He is a libertarian, but did not support President Trump. But he believes that under the Obama administration, those higher officials in the bureaucracy have divided this country so much and weaponized our intelligence and law enforcement apparatus to conduct political spying. And he wants it to end. So... Let's see where this story evolves. That's something I'm going to keep talking about in the upcoming weeks. It's going to be very important. Now I have somebody who is going to be coming on who is so incredible. I I can't believe the most incredible stories I've done this year. Just stories out of left field that I didn't even expect. And one of them has to do with a Google insider who approached me actually through a mutual friend. It I didn't even know who he was, right? I didn't even know who he was. He had apparently talked to Project Veritas. You all know that. Project Veritas with James O'Keefe. They kind of do the sting operations and catch people who are uh, basically on the back end saying one thing and in your face saying another. You know those types. Uh, this is uh, with Google. So he was never, he was, you know, in silhouette. Nobody ever knew who he was. Ha- we apparently had a mutual friend in common. And they said, hey, um, a Google Insider who would would like to meet you, would like to talk to you. They're going to go public in a few weeks, but they still want to do a story with you. I said, that's fine. Let's do the story. And it ended up being um, Zachary Voorhees, who worked with Google for over eight years. Um, He is an incredibly intelligent guy, uh, can talk about things that I have to actually go back and read about, right? Because it's about algorithms. It's about artificial intelligence. It's about how these companies, particularly Google, manipulate the system allegedly. is This is what he is saying, and he's brought proof because he dumped off over 950 documents to the Department of Justice. I know this because I saw them do it. In fact... They were taking selfies out in front of the Department of Justice when they went to drop it off. So, I mean, this is all verified. I've seen the documents myself, and now they're out there publicly. He he went public with Project Veritas the day after I broke my story. So we're going to have him on the show in a minute. It's going to be amazing. It's going to be great. I can't wait for you to hear what he has to say. Hold on to your seats again because you are going to go for a ride through artificial intelligence, and you won't believe what they've been doing to you. So I'm here with Zach. I've got him on the other line. It's, uh, it's This has been something that I've wanted to do for weeks now. Hey, Zach, can you hear me? I can. 
I am so excited to have you with me today, Zach, because uh, I felt like I learned so much from talking to you uh, when I met you out here in Washington, D.C. There was so much that I thought I knew about Google, about Twitter, about algorithms and artificial intelligence. And then I realized when I talked to you, I knew nothing. (laughs) It was like (laughs) it was like you lifted a curtain, you know, and and put some sunshine on this subject, some disinfectant maybe on this subject. And that's kind of what I want our listeners to understand today, where you're coming from, right? Uh, Let's talk a little bit about your history. Tell me a little bit about your time at Google. When did you start working at Google? Why did you want to work at Google? And, uh, you know, the length of time that you spent there. Right. Okay. Well, th- first off, I want to thank you guys for having me on the show. It's an absolute pleasure and honor to be able to, uh, you know, speak to uh, your audience. So to answer to your, uh, answer your question, um, I first started working at Google in 2008. Uh, I worked for the Google Earth Department, and I worked at that branch for um, five and a half years. I then left in 2013 to establish my company, uh, Zaki's, which has a uh, wearable turn signal glove that we produce and sell. Ooh, what's that? A wearable turn signal glove. What is that? Okay, so imagine that you're a cyclist and you want to make like a left turn. And so you stick out your hand, and on the hand, there's a turn signal. And you just click this little contact between your index finger and thumb, and then the lights come on. So it blinks, and the car sees you um, making that turn, and then... He gives you space and you just come onto the lane. That's amazing. So, Luch wants to say something. Yeah, I'm about freaking this. out in the control room because I ride a one wheel, which is a self balancing motorized skateboard. And oh, yeah. believe me, if I had oh, one yeah. of those bad boys, I would be loving it. Oh, you need to get one well, of those. The Luch needs one of those. You, you got to go on his website. Go on his yeah, website. Com. I mean, say it again. Trump say it again. Everyone that's making a product in China to move their supply chain um, out of the country. So, I don't even know if I'm going to be able to make the product again for a very long time. But right now I've got inventory uh, that's available online and we ship everywhere in the United States. Oh, that's amazing. You uh, guys heard this right here on the Sarah Carter show. You can order this. Can you plug that one more time, your website, before we go on? Yeah, the website is www.zakis.com. That's Z-A-C-K-E-E-S.com. And it saves lives, folks. And it saves lives. That's what's important here. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so I didn't realize I was going to do a product plug, but here we are. So, <laughs> yes. So for That's three what years, we do here. I'm, I'm making this. I'm making this product, and um, the money's not nearly as good as you know what I make in um, the corporate world. So I came back to Google and ended up working for their YouTube team in 2016. And from 2016 to 2019, for three years, uh, that was my time at YouTube. And so combined both at uh, Google Earth and YouTube, my total time at Google was eight years. Wow. So you really got a chance to to understand the company, to know the company, uh, and talk a little bit about what 
made you change? I mean, I assume that when you first started with Google, you must have been just thrilled. I mean, here you are. You're you're a genius, really. I mean, folks, he really is a genius um, at computer technology, at IT. You're coming to work for one of the biggest companies on the planet. I mean, Google literally has changed the face of how we do things. And so it must have been really exciting for you. When did things start to turn? When did you start to feel like something is just not right here? Well, let me tell you, when I first worked at YouTube in 2016, it was still like the the parent company, Google, was still the same company as when I left in 2013. There wasn't a lot of change. The change happened as soon as Trump got elected, and it was almost overnight. Wow. And there was a famous TGIF that happened shortly after President Trump had won, in which the executives came and uh, talked to the employees together about what the Trump election meant for Google. Wow. Thanks for setting. Wait right there. Wait right there because you set this up for me. You're amazing. I'm going to play a clip here and I know what you're talking about. And this is Sondar Pichai. I hope I'm pronouncing his name correctly, Mm -hmm. but I want you to hear this clip really quick. Look, I I think our investments in machine learning and AI is a big opportunity here. Uh, You know, there are work we have done. uh, The Jigsaw team did around what they call conversation AI around, you know, to, to look at bullying and, you know, commenting. And so a lot of this is a problem of scale and not being able to keep up. So, like, human systems fail in many of these things. So I think, but, you know, investing more in machine learning and AI could be one way we actually make progress on some of this, uh, the mo- uh, some of this stuff. Uh, but I think we should do more. Oh, I think we should do more. Now, explain a little bit about yeah. what the employees saw that day. Be- and then explain what Pachai is actually saying. Because... He's talking about AI. He's talking about artificial intelligence, manipulating that artificial intelligence to do something. But talk about how the executives felt when Trump actually won the presidency. Right. So so what's really interesting to note is that um, Google did not want to give up information about ISIS, you know, prior to 2016, because they said that it would set a dangerous precedent on privacy because it 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 actually you know they valued the privacy of isis terrorists so much they couldn't give their information away that's just crazy yeah and now you know after 2016 happened uh now all of a sudden they start shifting this focus to we've got to intervene on everything we've got to intervene for bullying we've got to intervene for all the hate speech that's online and we've got to really protect our users from fake news. Okay, so but before this, but before this, what you're saying is Google never did anything. So you gave the example of Islamic State or ISIS, and you're saying that even with ISIS before the Trump win, they wouldn't even want to give up that information. They were very much like protect everybody's rights, even if they're a terrorist, right? Yeah, exactly, exactly. and then after Trump won, they're like, we need to intervene. We need to figure out what the users are saying. We need to, like, intervene. Because they um, hated Trump, right? Off the platform. Because they hated well, Trump. They think it, well, they didn't come out and say that they hated Trump. What they said was that Trump was elected because of hate speech and the Russian interference in the, into the election. 
and a lot of just really bizarre accusations that was being countered by the narratives coming out, especially on YouTube at the time. Explain that. Okay, so uh, right after um, Trump got elected, there was this allegation that the person that leaked the information to WikiLeaks was actually Seth Rich and not Russian hackers, as was being asserted by the mainstream media. And there was a lot of evidence coming out for this. There was NSA whistleblower Bill Binney, who came out and said that the files in question had been downloaded because they could tell what the download speed was and that the download was happening to a local drive, not being sent to a remote file somewhere else. Well, a lot of people even now, well, a lot of people even now, anybody who talks about that is considered a conspiracy theorist. And remember, for the audience right now, Seth Rich was the Democratic National Committee um, uh, employee that basically people believed had uh, was people he was actually murdered in Washington, D.C. in his neighborhood late at night. Um, the police basically said that they believed that it was a botched robbery gone wrong. Um, his family became very involved. They were very upset. Uh, there were a lot of theories that possibly and allegedly that somehow Seth Rich was involved in leaking information and these were considered Conspiracy theories, they still are, uh, Zach, to some extent. I mean, people can't even talk about it. I know who you're talking about, Bill Binney, and I've yeah. spoken to him personally about this, and he's been trying to uh, basically study that download, that material that was actually taken from the DNC um, and has uh, put in all kinds of Freedom of Information Act requests with the NSA and with others. But, you know, right now, anybody who talks about Seth Rich, um, it's a very dangerous subject. I mean, people have been in big trouble, and mainly because his family, his family, um, and I know there's a lot of issues with that, but his family uh, doesn't want to hear these stories anymore. They want to move on with their lives. They just right, don't want right. to talk about Seth. So that becomes a very non-touchable thing. This happens. We know this in news. There's things that if you can't get the direct evidence, that's it. It dies. So unless yeah, there's exactly. more evidence, you know. So the thing is, is that it's not really important about whether you accept that Seth Rich was the leaker. The thing is, is that the uh, narrative that it was the Russians who had hacked had some serious doubt and required, you know, at the very least, more investigation before coming to such conclusions and statements of fact, especially given the DNC's hesitation to allow the FBI to investigate the server that they, you know, where they made this outrageous claim. Right. So. You know, the executives just decided to, you know, choose this narrative and run with it, uh, along with the mainstream media. And a lot of us are sitting there going, well, wait a minute, this isn't a settled issue. Um, Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's not a settled issue that hate and racism and misogyny online is the cause of Trump getting elected. But that's what the executives choose to talk about. That's what they communicated to us as employees of the company that, you know, this is the reason why that the election had gone the way that it had and that Google needed to take a stronger role in regulating speech online. Let's talk about regulating speech online, because this 
This is at the crux of everything that is so important. And this is what you saw when you were at Google, I mean, on in internal documents. First, I want to play a clip right here. This is Senator Ted Cruz. And uh, there's been a lot of others, but listen to this from Ted Cruz. In a March 18 email to at least 17 other Google employees, uh, Google employee Liam Hopkins stated that, quote, PragerU, Jordan Peterson, Ben Shapiro et al. are all Nazis, this is a quote, are using dog whistles. He further suggested that Google isolate this, quote, far-right content. All Nazis. Ben Shapiro? Come on. Mm-hmm. Prager you. I mean, right. this is this is internal communications. This is what's going on at Google. They're trying to tell right. us the, how to think. Is that what it right. is? This, it is. And the thing is, is that these people were in a discussion on how to bring down Breitbart ads. Um, they're trying to bring they're trying to cut Breitbart off from their revenue stream. And the reason why is because, according to these people, they're supporting Nazis. And it's pretty outrageous to listen to them and hear them um, try to make sense. I tried to make sense of it, and I really can't. Um, and, you know, these are people that, you know, are trying to kick people off of um, the different services. And kicking someone off from, you know, the, the ad network is pretty insidious. This was done to Tulsa Gabbard recently, mm-hmm. and, you know, right after the Democratic debates, her uh, her ad account went down, meaning that her opponents were able to capture the keywords and redirect traffic to their websites. That's and it. So Let me read back. a little bit of this, because Tulsi Gabbard's lawsuit against Google is actually making the case for regulating online political ads because she sued mm-hmm. Google for temporarily suspending her campaign's Google ads account after her appearance in last month's Democratic presidential debate when she was one of Google's most searched candidates. Whatever the court decides, the lawsuit demonstrated Google's power to influence elections through its monopoly to control online advertising. That is so important for people to understand. Explain, Zach, how serious this is when we are controlling and Google is controlling what we are allowed to communicate, what we are allowed to say. How does this change society? You explained this to me very well when you were in Washington, D.C. You and your friend Patrick were able to explain this, and it scared the living daylights out of me. Explain it. Right. So Google grew in its size by promising to the customer and users that they would organize the world's information and make it universally accessible and useful. And this was their mission statement. And, you know, they've created this public forum that people can exchange ideas in. But Mm -hmm. as soon as something doesn't go according to their agenda, they've decided to slam the door shut. And so, you know, what you're seeing with Tulsi Gabbard is that they're changing from this public forum to this publisher. And we're all surprised because, we didn't think that that was the kind of company that they were, uh, especially since it seems to be hurting their bottom line. Uh, why would a company engage in destruction of its shareholder value in order to silence someone that's in the political arena in which they should not have a dog in the fight in this case? And so um, this is really, you know, this is setting a dangerous precedent because not only have they silenced, you know, Tulsi Gabbard, but I suspect that they're silencing other 
political candidates as well. We know that their election interference has occurred in Ireland through banning of uh, search key search phrases that users were trying to find for their country's constitutional amendments. Um, and then we, uh, I recently discovered that Google has been engaging in election interference in Brazil. And there was a Supreme Court decision um, that found in Brazil that they had uh, that, that there was a contract between the company and the current president's opponents in order to re-rank negative news of the current president and push it to the top. Wow, this is incredible. And I want to I really want the audience to understand this because Google tries to say and they said this, you know, at hearings, oh, we it's AI, it's our artificial intelligence. We are not manipulating any of the algorithms. It's just the way We don't have blacklists. That's you know, right. And Expl- the thing was, was I was sitting at my desk as a full-time employee and I heard live on air we don't use blacklists. I went into the corporate network and I typed in blacklists and I immediately found a giant 40 page YouTube controversial query blacklist. Literally the name of the file was blacklist. And <laughs> there it was. And I'm going, why? What? I can tell like who, who else in this company can tell right now that Google is engaging in perjury. It's, it's, it was just really blatant. Um, and I started to, my antenna started to go up, and I was like, what is going on with this company? Something nefarious and dark is going on. Well, and thankfully, you looked at it because you're not political, right, Zach? I mean, you're not a political machine. You weren't thinking that way, were you, when you were at Google? I didn't get that impression. No, I was pretty much like a disaffected classical liberal. Um, <laughs> you know, I believe in judging people by the content of their character, not the color of their skin. And, uh, and in fact, I didn't even vote in the 2016 election because I was just so apathetic. And, you know, Trump was saying a lot of things that I liked, but I was like, I, I don't actually think he's going to follow through with any of them. Boy, was I wrong. Um, <laughs> but I was, I was pretty much apolitical. And I don't really care which way the politics goes as long as it represents the sovereign will of the people. And so when I saw Google violating that very sacred tenet, that's kind of when I became activated. And I realized that I need to start monitoring what Google is doing. And I started going into the different databases uh, and started to see that there was actually a wide-scale election meddling project called Machine Learning Fairness. There you go. once I started to see the design documents for the system, I got, I got really scared. I was like, wait a minute, Google's telling everyone that they don't have any political bias, but here's the docs explicitly stating that they intend to re-rank search results based upon classified criteria. So classifying, you know, things around like the hate speech that it has in it and pushing up authoritative content and I want to stop right there because I want to ask you something, Zach. I want to talk to you about this because this is so important. I don't want to lose my train of thought. Yeah. This was a military type of program. Let's be very serious here about how. talking about Jigsaw. That's right, Jigsaw, and how the AI is developed. And people really need to understand this. 
They really do. Can you explain how they manip- how the AI starts to think on its own, but how it's almost being trained like a child? You and I talked about that. And and does this manipulating the manipulation of this AI, does that does that frighten you? What they're able to do with it, this? It, it does. Now, first off, Patrick knew more about Jigsaw than I do. That was a military application. And there was a lot of deception being pushed by the company that Jigsaw was an anti-bullying effort. But in reality, it was this sort of fusion program that uh, was able to vacuum up a whole bunch of information and create you know, shadow networks, like a shadow social network of people that were you know, within a country. And, um, and the level of deception that they used to describe like, what this was uh, was was pretty amazing, you know. People, if you heard what they were, what their public statements were, you wouldn't guess that this was a military application to vacuum up the data. You would think that it was an anti-bullying effort. But Google has a history of engaging in deception with the public related to everything involved in its AI, you know, moral authority programs that it is, you know, putting on not only the United States but other countries around the world. Explain what it's been like since you've left Google. I want to, how have they treated you? Are you concerned? Are you going to be sued? Do you have a lawyer now? Tell me just what happened when you left, when you went public. Right. So at first I wasn't really intending on going public. I just wanted the public to know what this information was. A real whistleblower, folks. um, Somebody who really cares. yeah, I mean, I didn't want to um, necessarily release all the documents because I felt that if I released just a few documents, that that would give the investigators enough room to sort of sniff it out with electronic discovery. But what happened is that after I disclosed, you know, under the cover of anonymy what was going on, Google had a, ended up responding by launching an investigation into the files that I had had access to. And they started a process, which I was told by um, lawyers within the Bay Area that were familiar with how Google operates, that this, this demand letter that Google had sent was the very beginning of a long process of financial destruction, or what we call lawfare, and that there was nothing that I could do if I cooperated or if I didn't cooperate, Google was going to be able to get the documents and then they were going to file lawsuit after lawsuit and allege fraudulently that I had hacked into their system in order to acquire these documents in order to discover their, um, their, legal, their, their legal strategy. And so I realized at that point that I wasn't going to really be able to win in a law setting, especially given the fact that nobody really knew that I was the whistleblower, but Google was quickly roping in on that fact. So I decided that the only way to keep myself safe and to really inform, you know, the American public on the full scale of Google's, you know, censorship apparatus, I was going to come forward, Mm. full disclosure, you know, unveil myself and step out of the shadows in order to, you know, you know, tell the American public and warn them of what was coming down the pipeline. Do you think it's ever going to change or do you think it's going to get worse? I don't know. It seems that Google has backed off right now for a little bit. Um, But the thing is, is that I suspect that it's only because there's a surge of media that has their attention on me right now. I, I'm very scared that whenever I leave my house that I'll get, 
you know, jumped by someone to serve me papers and then compel me to, you know, appear in court. And then the, that thus will begin the financial destruction. But I want to tell you, Sarah, is that, you know, this, this, this program, this collection of programs that Google has is so important to disclose to the American public because it forms a existential threat to the republic and therefore is a national security issue. But I've decided that it's, it's a reasonable risk for me to take, even if I get financially destroyed by this company, to give to the American public the knowledge of what Google is really doing. And they do not have a nice smiley face that they wear. They are a militarized and highly political machine that's that I now believe, after having left the company, is under the influence of foreign influence. I know, and I've heard these discussions before because there's so many foreigners working for Google uh, from China to other parts of Europe to other parts of Slavic states as well as Russia. There are so many people that have already infiltrated um, Google, apparently, that there's actually some senators investigating this and some members of Congress actually looking into how much access do foreign nations have in Google. And before I wrap up with you, Zach, I want to tell the audience and I want you to be able to tell them, you know, Google sent the police to your home. I actually saw the video of you having to put your hands up in the air as you were coming out. Talk a little bit about that, how they sent a well check visit to you because they apparently said you were a threat to your own self. And also, I mean, it was just crazy, guys. I mean, these companies are extraordinarily powerful. They were there. For, look, I love Google. Who doesn't use Google, right? I mean, everybody was Google, using right? Google. So it's changed our world. It's changed the way we communicate with one another. But there's this whole other side to it that if we don't keep right. things in check, I, I never thought I'd see the day that, it, you know, you think about Stalin, you think about governments and dictatorships or a change in a political system. This is about corporations, capitalist right. companies that have ingenious corporations that have come out of nowhere with all these great research and development issues and putting them and app- applying them to our world. And all of a sudden, I feel like the movie Brazil where it's like these companies are in control. Like we were afraid of governments, right? We were afraid of governments, but I don't think we ever thought like, what if these huge mammoth companies that control a whole new system, a whole new way of life for us actually start to throw in their own political agendas? And how does that change things for us? Tell me a little bit about what happened with you with the police before we wrap up. And uh, mm-hmm. and then I'm going to be following up with you in the weeks to come and I'll be bringing you back on the show. But I, I right. want people to hear this. Right. So um, after... After I disclosed anonymously to the public, um, Google sent me, you know, that lawyer from or that letter from a high-priced firm. And what they also did is, um, after I responded to them uh, regarding the retention of their data and telling them that the laptop that contained a lot of the evidence. That's right, because you gave the laptop. Yeah, the, yeah, I want to explain sure, that really sure. quick. You gave a laptop and 950 documents, a laptop and 950 documents to the Department of Justice. 
And that contained all that information. And Google then sent a letter, threatening letter to you. Um, they knew what you had done. And the letter contained several demands. Right. And so uh, the demands included, you know, have you retained any files? Have, who have you given it to? And I answered them very truthfully. Like, yes, I retained files. Uh, you know, I gave them to the to law enforcement, you know, and the laptop is with them as well. And so uh, a few days later, um, while on Twitter, I got outed in a low comment thread by an insider um, who uh, called me out by my name, not my username, but my real name, and then said that uh, I was, um, that I should change the employment status of my Twitter page. Uh, isn't that right, Mr. Leaker? And mm. so I got really concerned that this might be an insider from Google. And so we set up a honeypot trap and got him to click the link. And we were able to capture, as a result, Ooh, honeypot. his IP address and track the IP address back to Google. And at that point, we're like, oh, no, there's this insider. He knows that who I am. And now they're trying to run you know, a, uh, maybe a psychological program to sort of like, you know, uh, make me worried. And so wow, I the future. at that point that if they know who I am and this is what they're beginning, then what I also know is that I'm now a high value target. I've got very damaging information that Google does not want to get out to the public. And they know that it's me, which means that the cost to take me out is fairly low because nobody knew that I was the leaker. And the return on that would be very high, preventing the disclosure to the public. So I decided that I wanted to let Google know that um, I had activated what was called a dead man switch. Now, for those of you who don't know what a dead man switch, a dead man switch uh, is a tool that whistleblowers will often use in which they give the damaging data to a, uh, a media group or another person and they and they say that if I die, then the dead man switch will activate and all the documents will go public to will become public. And so um, after I announced on Twitter, because I knew that Twitter or that Google was following me through my through my username on there, um, uh, within a few within just a few hours, Google had ordered a wellness uh, wellness check. Unfortunately for them, they first sent the wellness check to a decoy address, which was my friend's location. And, and these were cops, arrived. right? So they sent cops these to your... Cops. <laughs> this was in Rich... So this was in your Rich poor Man, friend. It was where they first set... Where they first, you know, sent the cops. My friend told them that I wasn't there. They didn't believe him. They were very insistent. He gave me a call. He's like, yo, these police here are really trying to get at you for a wellness check. And it looks like they're going to try to arrest you. So um, about a half hour later, when the San Francisco police came to my house and knocked, I decided that I was going to invoke my right not to speak with the police and uh, therefore didn't answer the door. Um, they came, the police let themselves into the gate and then started you know, pounding on the door inside the gate to my house, and I refused to, to, to answer. What happened next just absolutely surprised me. The police decided that they were going to uh, uh, they were going to escalate unilaterally, and so what they did is that they they saw um, a, a container of alcohol, um, which was used for my roommate. She's a fire spinner, fire alcohol called denatured alcohol, and mm -hmm. they looked at it and they said, "Is this a bomb? Oh, this could be a bomb." <laughs> so they called in a bomb so squad. Crazy. 
to to try to figure out what this can next to my gate was. Um, and so um, they called in the bomb squad. They decided that, well, there's potentially a bomb. Now we've got to block off the streets. So they blocked off the streets on Valencia from 20th to 22nd. They evacuated the local theater right next to my house. Um, and they, they, they put police officers with guns up on top of the roof opposing my house. And so I didn't realize. How and I much saw the video of this, guys. This really happened. Yeah, I saw the video. video. So what happened at this time was that my friend, he had gotten worried about me. And he was concerned that something bad might be going down. So he just decided on his own that he was going to come down to San Francisco. Well, once he got to my house, he realized that the street was blocked off. And then he gave me a call. And he's like, yo, Zach. You know, the streets are blocked off. They got a whole bunch of police here, different you know, types. And and that's when I realized that the helicopter that had been flying over my house for 15 minutes was for me. Right. There was a, there was a you know, I, I, I was sitting inside my house. And the only indication that I had that there was this much escalation was that this helicopter was just flying over and over and over in circles. But I'd be like, that, that there's no way like you would normally think there's no way that because they didn't answer the door, they would escalate so much that, that now there's now there's a police helicopter flying above my house. But here we are. That's exactly what happened. And so my friend uh, was able to negotiate with the police uh, on exactly what they wanted and to guarantee that they were not going to arrest me because, like I said, I had no obligation to come out to my house and meet with the police. But they said that they would not leave until they were able to ask me six questions. And I said, well, could you ask me over the phone? And like, no, we have to ask you the questions in person so we can see your facial reactions. And they wouldn't allow, like, they first said that they could do it with me at the gate of my doorway. Uh, but then once they got to the gate of the doorway to do that, they said, actually, we need you to come all the way out. And we're going to briefly detain you. And that's when you came out with your hands up in the air, right? You came out walking. I saw this video. Looch, did you have a question? Yeah, I just want to know where I can find this. I have to see this myself. Where is this video, Zach? Um, True Pundit's got a copy. You can go to my Twitter account, too. Twitter.com slash Perpetual Maniac is my Twitter handle. And then you can can see the um, look for the True Pundit um, video. He's got... He's got the full video of it and me explaining the whole uh, the whole thing as it went down. Zach, you have been amazing. I I wish I could keep you on for another hour. I know I got to wrap this up right now, but I want you to come mm-hmm. back in the next few weeks. I want to keep this story going. I need you to keep coming back on the show because this is what our listeners want to hear. And there's so much. Maybe we can break it down next time and just talk about AI. Maybe next time we can talk about, you know, Jigsaw and bring Patrick on with you. But I think that we need to keep this up. We need to keep talking. America, you need to keep thinking. Don't get lazy. Realize that every time you're on Google, anytime you're on your social media, these are not just tools that are just there randomly doing things for you. There are people behind these companies. They are monitoring what you do. They are monitoring everything that you do. That's why you get the same kind of advertisement of the things that you're looking at. They know what you're doing. And we just need to be aware so we can hold them accountable. And we need to protect people like Zachary Voorhees who are willing to stand up, who are whistleblowers, who aren't afraid to challenge 
challenge these mammoth companies that aren't just working on their own folks. They're developing all kinds of technology and working hand in hand with the government. We are the watchdogs and we've got to keep a check on that. Thank you, Zach, for being with us today. I so appreciate it. And I look forward to talking to you soon. Thank you very much, Sarah. Thank you very much, Lush. It's been a very uh, honor and pleasure to appear on your show today. Thank you. You guys won't believe this, but this happened during our break just a few segments ago. It was totally crazy, but I know it's happened to you over and over and over again. It's probably one of the most annoying things in your life. I'm just going to play it, and you're going to get what I'm talking about. Play it, Looch. This is Sarah. Hi, it's Julia there. Oh, I'm sorry. You have the wrong number. Who's Julia? Oh, well, maybe you can help me. This is Paul on behalf of the U.S. Veterans Assistance Foundation. Now, the reason for the call is to let you know the new drive is underway. Oh, wait, Paul, 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 nobody listens to me anymore. These phone calls, do they come into you? Because they come into me all the time. And I can't get them off. I have to hang up on them. Paul, are you there? Paul. Mm-hmm. Okay. I was trying to talk to you, but guess what? I'm actually on the air right now recording for a radio show. So maybe we could talk about this some other time. Okay. Thank you for your time. Maybe next time you can make a donation. Oh, I absolutely. I do. I make a donation every day. I'm married to a veteran. Any contributions made to this pack are not tax deductible. Still not listening to me. See? See, that's how it goes, folks. Every day. Every day I think I'm getting a really cool call. I see Las Vegas. I see China. I see something, and I answer it, and it's somebody trying to sell me something, some kind of crap that's out there. I don't even know. This is actually something that's probably pretty good. It's a veterans association, but guess what? A lot of times my husband and I, we call back. We find out what these associations are, and then we find out that only like 3% of our money actually goes to anything good. Like the rest of it ends up, I don't even know where, lining the pockets of someone. So anyways, I'm sure that this call might have been a good call, but who knows. Wow. Jenny. Jenny's here. I don't know. She didn't jump in earlier, but I, I want to talk to her. She's 20-something, um, and I've got the looch. <laughs> Not the lurch, but the looch. <laughs> Damn straight. Damn straight. Were you guys blown away? I mean, every time I talk to Zachary Voorhees, I have like a billion questions. Jenny, do you do you have any questions? Oh, I have so many. It's, okay, what? It's just so crazy how complicated, I mean, AI is specifically, um, and we have no idea. It's smarter than us. So how are we not seeing this? Like, we just ignore it. That's it. That's it. We don't really know because it's just a convenient tool for us. We, you know, now our houses are like Alexa. I mean, I know in my house and I know it's it's just my husband's blind. So Alexa is so beneficial to him. But I'm always thinking like she's listening to me. Right. I mean, this is now see what Zach what Zach told me. And f- well, for before I go on there, let's let's go to the luch. What were your questions? Oh, I, I'm just curious. Like, I, I want to know, it, it, does Google have an account with the cops like Google all of a sudden says something in and then the cops just jump? I know. How does that right. work? What a waste of law enforcement resources. I've never had that kind of power. Could just call someone. Well, I've never even thought of doing it. But, but doesn't that worry anybody that a company just sees something and says, hey, you know what? Wellness check. Cops, go do it. 
Absolutely. Yeah, that's it's, an issue. It's a huge issue. And I feel so bad for Zachary because I feel like he's a man alone on a ship. You know, there's a few whistleblowers out there. But let's be honest, guys. Who wants to go up against Google, Amazon, you know, Twitter? I mean, really, would you, Luch? I mean, I, would you want to go I'm up terrified against- of even putting anything on my Instagram. I know. I know. And Jenny, I mean, think about it. What what happens if you go up against one of these big companies? You're young. Can you imagine going to work for a, a company like this and uh, and then you see something the way Zach saw it and all of a sudden what? You know, what do you do? Right. Well, Google is now like big government, like you just said. I mean, they're just controlling everything. You don't want to go up against them. I mean, luckily, we had groups like PragerU, um, Tulsi Gabbard is going against them. I mean... Thank Devin God Nunez. for those people, right? Like, unfortunately, the small, you know, citizen. That's right. The independent citizen. It's a lot harder. Um, but look at these people that they flagged as Nazis, like um, Dennis Prager, Ben Shapiro. These are all Jewish people. Jewish people flagged as Nazis in Google documents. Guys, this is insane. I know. It's insane. We are not... We are not going to live up to this big brother moment, right? We're not going to just walk away. We have to hold these corporations accountable just the way we are with our government. Be a watchdog. Be able to speak out. And please, please, please defend the whistleblower that's willing to take a step out on the ledge and say, look, I can't do this anymore. I have an obligation to my country and to the citizens of my country to tell them the truth. And that's exactly what Zachary Voorhees has done. Now, I am I am like forgetting news. I know it, but I, I don't want to forget. Look, we have Andy McCabe. Andy McCabe in the news again. And I hope you guys remember who Andrew McCabe is because it goes back to the FBI and the Russia investigation. Remember, he was the deputy director of the FBI. Here's a deputy director of the FBI, former deputy director under Comey. He was fired. I'm going to bring this. It's going to be a little bit fun now. We're getting out of the serious Google, uh, you know, whistleblower stuff. We're talking about... Something that should be quite serious, but actually you're going to find quite hilarious. And <laughs> I love that. Halloween's around the corner, and that's my cackle for Andy McCabe. Look, he got busted by the Inspector General, Michael Horowitz, for lying, folks. Lying multiple times to investigators, to FBI. He lied, and he leaked information to the media information that was classified to the media nothing happened to him wait something did happen to him he just got a lucrative job with guess who cnn as a contributor cnn hires andy mccabe as a contributor after he was called out by michael horowitz who was by the way put in the um, Department of Justice by the Obama administration. This is not somebody President Trump put there. This is one of his own, right? For, well, you know what? I hate it in these reports. Um, I love Horowitz. They appear to like his reports, but they say, quote unquote, lack of candor. 
Nobody ever said lack of candor to me. You get caught in a lie, you are a liar. And Andrew McCabe is a liar. And nothing is going to happen to me for saying it because it was actually in a report. They called him a liar multiple times. But I guess that's what happens when you lie. You get a job with CNN. I don't know. This is just a crazy upside down world that I live in and that you live in. And if you want to watch CNN and hear Andy McCabe spew more lies, feel free. It's like comedy hour there. So this has been such a fun show. I am so glad you were with us for the full hour. I hope you learn something. I hope you take that something to your family, to your friends. Let them know that when they're surfing the net, somebody else is surfing what they're surfing and watching them. Look, we are taking back the story here and we're doing it at SarahACarter.com and The Sarah Carter Show. Thank you so much for being with me and I look forward to seeing you next week. We'll have more gadgets and gizmos and the Looch will play some other fun stuff for us and Jenny will be back to tell us stories. Remember, I'm going to Japan this week so we might be doing the podcast from there thank you so much thank you for being with me